Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you and excited to do this podcast. The Super Bowl is in the books. So that means the 2024 season is upon us just about a month away from the new league year, a couple weeks away from the NFL combine and things are going to really start to cook for Ryan Poles and the Chicago Bears. So big guest today, Josh Lucas. Yes, the former director of player personnel for the Chicago Bears under the Ryan Pace regime. He was on a few months ago, did a phenomenal job. If you haven't heard that interview, I highly recommend you go back and check out that interview. Some really great stuff from Josh in that interview. But we're having him back on today to kind of help us prep for the offseason, kind of go into what an offseason is like for the Chicago Bears, for the, you know, the 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 and the, the football operations department, and, and go through everything in terms of how you get from A to B in terms of adding players and everything. We'll talk a little combine. We'll have plenty to get into with Josh. So looking forward to that. He's going to be by in just a few minutes. But just wanted to talk about a few things here, and it's going to be Super Bowl related. And I'm sure some of you are going to give me some hard eye rolls here, but that's okay. I'm here for the hard eye rolls. They're fine with me. They don't bother me. It's part of the gig. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. But I watched that Super Bowl on Sunday, and I came to a very clear, a very clear conclusion. And that is, and of course, it's the train I've been on for a while, but I'm going to explain myself here. The Chicago Bears have no choice but to draft Caleb Williams. Because let, let, let's look at this, and we, we've talked about this, right? We've talked about the Chiefs and the 49ers and how they got there. And, and the Eagles were the hot thing to talk about when, before the Eagles collapsed down the stretch. And, and, and the fields te- team fields has pivoted to the 49ers. This is how you do it. This is how you build a roster, a Super Bowl champion, you have talent everywhere, and you build around the QB. Now, that, now that's great and all. And the 49ers are loaded. And I do expect the 49ers to move some things around, get everyone back for the 2024 season. They, they, will, they will try and get this all back together and make one final run because they have a limited window with Brock Purdy here if they are going to move on from him or if they are going to pay him. I assume they are going to pay him at some point. And at that point, once you pay your quarterback, the entire thing changes. 
They are not going to have this much talent. They are going to start to bleed talent on offense and defense. They simply won't be able to keep everybody around. And that's always been my point with Justin Fields is guys, Justin Fields isn't taking a $25 million a deer, $25 million deal per year. He is going to want to be paid. Him and his agent are going to sit down and they're going to want to push $45, $50 million. And if you're the Chicago Bears and you have passed on CJ Stroud and Caleb Williams and Drake May and all these quarterbacks, that is going to be a bargaining chip for the Fields camp that says you've committed to Justin Fields despite having all these paths to quarterbacks that you passed on. So that's a whole different conversation about the financial aspect of Justin Fields. And that is a huge, huge component. And I am tired of local media and fans not addressing the elephant in the room. And that is Justin Fields' contract. it, It cannot be understated or overstated, I should say. It cannot be overstated how big of a deal this is for the Chicago Bears and their decision process. That's just the way it's going to be. So when we talk about the hall and keeping Justin Fields and all that, there there is an entire other element that is just not being discussed. And I know for a fact, I'm just going to say, I know for a fact it is playing or did play a huge, huge part of that decision process. It was a very vital role about can they afford to pay Justin Fields what they are going to have to pay him and build the type of roster they want to build. A huge piece of the puzzle. It was a huge piece of the puzzle. And I am confident in saying that we are at a point here that this is no longer a conversation about Justin Fields or Caleb Williams. This is a conversation about Caleb Williams or Drake May or Jaden Daniels. Justin Fields is no longer in the conversation. I am almost certain that that is the case. That, I mean, we, we heard it all, right? We heard it at Radio Row for the Super Bowl. We've heard it at the Senior Bowl. We've heard it everywhere that Ryan Poles is going to trade Justin Fields. He's going to take a quarterback. And, and the thing that I think is interesting is the, you know, Schefter and Rapp and, and these guys have talked about it now. The historic haul it would take for the Chicago Bears to move off of number one. But then we also see a report about how the Washington Commanders probably aren't willing to give up what it would take to move up to number one. And that is two distinct things that we're not talking about because the Fields fans see, oh, see the historic hall. We're going to get all these draft picks and all this and everything just to move down a spot or two. No, what you're hearing is that Ryan Poles is saying it would take us a historic hall to not draft Caleb Williams. You are not hearing if teams are willing to give Ryan Poles what he wants to move down. In fact, the only report that's come out from a team willing to move up is that Washington probably isn't willing to pay enough. Those are completely different things in this entire conversation, and they're getting blended together. It's what the Bears would take to move down versus what teams are willing to give up. And I'm sure teams are willing to give up plenty but it's not enough for Ryan Poles to move off this pick. So the Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams conversation to me is over. I think it's been over for a while. I've been polite about it. We've played with the Justin Fields notions for a while, but it is it is not in the cards as far as I can tell. The cards are, we're going to move on from Justin Fields. We're going to take a quarterback at one. 
We believe it's going to be Caleb Williams, but before we commit to that, we are going to do our due diligence and, you know, uncover every stone, you know, everything we can do, everything we can find out about this guy to make sure that everybody went to his birthday party and that he read the playbook and, and all the things that you need to do to make sure a quarterback is, is, is worth taking at, at number one overall. So when we talk about taking Caleb Williams potentially at number one overall, I look at this Super Bowl, and let me get back to that point that I was talking about with the 49ers. So the 49ers have built up this huge roster, and they have a good quarterback in Brock Purdy, but they don't have, and I've heard this term, an alien at quarterback, right? We've seen some people talk about that. Patrick Mahomes is an alien. It's some of these elite guys, the Josh Allens, the Joe Burrows. They're on this entirely different level. And if you don't have one of those, you can't win a Super Bowl. And I completely, completely agree. Because when you look at this, and you let's pull back like 35, 40 years, and we'll go back and look at Super Bowl champions. And what of those teams, which champions did not have a top 10 quarterback, right? Let's just look at it. We know Mahomes is the GOAT. We know Brady's the GOAT. That eats up a lot of Super Bowls right there. Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger. Like, these are the guys winning Super Bowls. Troy Aikman, John Elway, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Phil Simms, not a Hall of Famer, but he was a top 10 quarterback. Jim McMahon, when healthy in that era, was a top 10 quarterback. The problem was McMahon was never on the field. These are the guys that win Super Bowls. Now, there are exceptions. Nick Foles is an exception. Now, Nick Foles played incredibly well in that Super Bowl. So it is possible to get a hot hand from a mediocre quarterback and ride it, right? Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Trent Dilfer, thanks to an incredible defense, won a Super Bowl. Brad Johnson, kind of the same thing. Incredible defense wins a Super Bowl. Certainly doesn't hurt that Rich Gannon threw for five interceptions in that game. So you need the quarterback. You need a top 10 quarterback. The idea of having a good quarterback and building up a great team, you can get to the playoffs. You can win some games. You might even get to the Super Bowl. But at some point, you are going to run into greatness. And that is what happened to the San Francisco 49ers. This 49ers team held Patrick Mahomes to six points through 42 minutes of football. Six, two field goals. That was it. They had an opportunity to be up huge, and they, they didn't. They, they failed on that opportunity. Credit the Chiefs defense. It does take more than a quarterback. I'm not saying all you need is the quarterback. I'm saying you need the quarterback. So the Chiefs defense kept them around enough, just kept them in the game, because Patrick Mahomes is inevitable. And that's what happened. The Kansas City Chiefs scored on their final four possessions, two touchdowns, two field goals, including the game winner. Patrick Mahomes engineered those drives. You want to say they were good calls from Andy Reid? I'm not saying you don't need good coaching too, but Patrick Mahomes engineered those drives. On that final drive, Patrick Mahomes ran for, I believe, 27 yards and led his team in rushing. Patrick Mahomes, who had no wide receivers, right? We, we talked about it. His receiving core was atrocious. He goes eight for eight on the final drive. Only one of those passes to Travis Kelsey. The rest of them to me, Cole Hardman and Justin Watson and MVS and, and all those other guys. Rasheed Rice, who I do like. I think he's going to be a, an asset for that team. But all these other guys, 
caught passes from Patrick Mahomes. And he made the plays when he needed to. He converted two third downs. He converted a fourth down on his own because Patrick Mahomes is great. And when you have greatness, it is really hard to beat. And that's why he has won three Super Bowls and been to four Super Bowls, four out of the last five Super Bowls, and everything we've heard about Patrick Mahomes' greatness. Now, I'm not saying Caleb Williams is going to be Patrick Mahomes. The odds that he is as good as Patrick Mahomes are infinitesimal, right? They're, they're tiny. They're microscopic. It is, you know, we, that's why when you look at that list, there's one of these that comes along, right? Tom Brady and Joe Montana, these, these, these you know, generational quarterbacks. Now, Caleb Williams' ceiling is to be there. It's a high ceiling. It's one he probably won't reach, but he might. And Justin Fields' ceiling is significantly lower. Justin Fields' ceiling to me is a borderline top 10 quarterback, probably just outside, top 12, top 14 quarterback. Right now, we're three years in, and this year, and thanks to EJ Snyder, and you can check it out, he has a new stat, QB support, takes into account everything that a quarterback needs to succeed. The offensive line, a supportive defense, supportive special teams, everything that you need to succeed. Are the receivers open? Are the plays perfectly covered? He takes a look at everything. And what did we find? Justin Fields' support this year was average. And Justin Fields underperformed his support. He is still in the bottom third in the league in, in how he passes the football. I understand the running game and, and, and the big plays and all the exciting things he can do. But from day to day, play to play, game to game and week to week, he is still well below average passing the football. So for him to get that corrected at this late in his career and be able to consistently work well in structure, that's about the most you can ask for for his ceiling is for him to be okay at it, which means he's going to be an average, maybe a slightly above average quarterback in the full body of work. And like, I look at him like I look at Michael Vick. Michael Vick was not a great quarterback. Michael Vick was a highlight machine because of his athleticism and his arm and his speed. And I'm not saying they're apples to apples, but they're as close to me as you could get because Michael Vick was not accurate. You know, and I'm not talking about Eagles Michael Vick when he got a little older and changed the way he played a little bit. I'm talking about Falcons Michael Vick. He had issues running an offense and being accurate with the football and having to do all the things he did. So he made big plays, but most of the years, those Falcons teams, they were not threats to win the Super Bowl. And he had some good talent around him. If you go back and look at those rosters, those rosters were not bleak. Those rosters had talent, but they were eight and eight, nine and seven because he was not good enough. He could not elevate the roster enough in terms of in the body of a game, the full body. And that's where we're at with Justin Fields. So his ceiling and Caleb Williams' ceiling are wildly different. So the idea of having Justin Fields to be a pretty good quarterback, and that's what the that's the ceiling at this point. I'm not saying that was his ceiling in 2021. That's his ceiling now. You want to talk about maybe the Bears failed him because they did, and the things that went into him potentially not reaching that ceiling, that's fine. We can't change those factors. Those are the factors that go into the full evaluation of this. So when we look at Justin Fields, we sit there and say, this is where his ceiling is. That ceiling is not good enough. Now, if the situation was different and the Bears didn't have an opportunity to swing big at quarterback and you're comparing him to Bo Nix 
and you're comparing him to to you know that level of quarterback, right? You're comparing him to Michael Penix, guys like that. That's a different argument because that's saying, are, do these guys have a similar ceiling? Do they have a lesser ceiling, more of a ceiling? That's a totally different evaluation process. But because the Panthers gave you number one, this is where you're evaluating and you're in a very unique situation. So embrace the fact that the Chicago Bears have an opportunity to draft an alien at quarterback, to draft a guy that has the potential to be there with Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen, like that elite group. He has a chance to reach that. I don't know if he will, but when you talk about it, and this is a consensus, this isn't me. These are the draft experts that have been looking at these for decades. When they say the last you know, 15, 20 years, the best quarterback prospects are Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and that Caleb Williams is in that tier. He may not be the number one guy, he may be the number four guy, but he is in that tier of quarterback prospects. And then you look at what these quarterback prospects have done. Joe Burrow already reached a Super Bowl, elite level quarterback. Andrew Luck was phenomenal. He was a top five caliber quarterback. He may not have been considered top five because when he was playing, it was literally littered with Hall of Famers between Brady, Roethlisberger, Manning, Rodgers, you know, uh, Russell Wilson. Like these guys all at peak performances and Andrew Luck was right there with them. Trevor Lawrence may be the worst guy out of that group, right? Trevor Lawrence is a borderline top 10 quarterback right now. But Trevor Lawrence, who I think I've seen a lot of Bears fans bash. Oh, what, do you want another Trevor Lawrence? Well, Trevor Lawrence still has passed for 4,000 yards in back-to-back seasons. And the last two years, I looked it up, has accounted for 55 touchdowns. And that's the guy you're saying isn't good enough. Well, that's light years ahead of where we are right now at the quarterback position for Chicago. So that's, that's the, if we're talking about... That's the least, you know, that's a, the slower level of what Caleb Williams could reach. Please sign me up. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has an excellent opportunity to be a top top 10 quarterback, a solid chance to be a top five quarterback, and a chance, which not many quarterbacks have, of being elite, elite, elite at the position. So when we look at all this, to me, it is one inevitable choice, and that choice is Caleb Williams at quarterback. And I'm sure everyone is sick and tired of hearing about the Caleb Williams-Justin Fields debate. Well, there's a real easy way to make this debate go away. And honestly, and, and I hate to point fingers, but it is for the Justin Fields fans to accept the inevitability of the situation. Because that's why it's a debate. Because they keep coming up and saying, trade for the Hall, Marvin Harrison. We, we, we keep hearing all, all the things. It's not happening. I can't say it with 100% certainty, but it is damn close to that certainty that this is not going to happen and Justin Fields is going to be here next year. There is a change of coming. So if one side of the argument could embrace it, and remember 2021, May, June, July of 2021, and the excitement that we as a collective fan base had for Justin Fields. You remember it? It was awesome. And we as a collective fan base were furious when Matt Nagy was trotting Andy Dalton out there with the ones and Justin Fields wasn't getting opportunities with the ones. As a group, 
we were united and we were upset about how Justin Fields was being handled. We saw it right away. Like, what are you doing? This isn't how you develop a quarterback. We saw it right away. We were frustrated as a group. And here we are three years later. And I get the popularity of Justin Fields. I do. I get it. But at the same time, guys, Caleb Williams, compared to what Justin Fields was in 2021 versus what Caleb Williams is right now, Caleb Williams is the better prospect. Not only is Caleb Williams the better prospect, but Ryan Poles isn't going to have to give up a future one to get him, which, of course, is what Ryan Pace had to do with the Giants. So not only are the Bears in a position to grab a higher prospect, a better prospect than they did in 2021, they don't have to give up any assets to get him. This is an exciting time for the Chicago Bears and for Chicago Bears fans. And if we could stop crapping on Caleb Williams about internet rumors that most of them are not true and piling on that he cried or piling on because he likes to paint his nails as an homage to his mother or piling on that he said he wanted to cuddle his dogs after a bad loss and some of the weird toxic masculinity stuff that's coming up because God forbid Caleb Williams has a human side or we're going to get on him because he drives a sports car or has a penthouse because he made millions of dollars last year with NIL money. I'm not sure how that's a problem. I, I don't understand the arguments here. But if we could stop just piling on a prospect on a 21-year-old because you like the other quarterback currently on the Bears roster, let's stop that. Let's just accept the inevitability and if Justin Fields is a Pittsburgh Steeler or a New England Patriot or an Atlanta Falcon, we could cheer for Justin Fields unless he's playing the Bears. We could cheer for him almost every game of the rest of his career. Now, if they somehow ends up on the Vikings, different story, I understand. But as long as it's not interfering with the Bears, cheer for Justin Fields. Let him be your, non, your favorite non-Bear. That's wonderful. You got a guy you love that you can cheer for. But be excited for this situation. Don't sit there and be like, oh, Caleb's going to suck. He's a bust. He's a jackass. Any of this stuff that I keep hearing. None of that was said about Justin Fields. And I get it. They're a different profile person. I get all of that. But embrace the idea that the Chicago Bears, we embraced it. You know, we even embraced it with Mitch Trubisky. We talked about the Trubisky truthers and all that stuff when Trubisky was here. Embrace the excitement that is the best prospect at quarterback the Chicago Bears have ever had, or at least have had in the last 75 years. I can't tell you what Sid Luckman was as a quarterback prospect. I don't know. But I can tell you that, that Caleb Williams is a better quarterback prospect than Jim McMahon, than Jim Harbaugh, than Rex Grossman, than Cade McNown, than Kyle Orton, than Mitch Trubisky, than Jay Cutler, than Justin Fields. He's better than all of them. So embrace it. Enjoy it. Let's reunite as Bears fans and be excited for the 2024 season. Because DraftKings, before the entire offseason, has the Bears as the seventh seed in the playoffs. Like if you look at the NFC odds, they are the seventh seed in the playoffs. Packers are the sixth seed, Cowboys are the five. And they have the Falcons, 49ers, 
Lions and Eagles winning the divisions. Pretty straightforward, I get it. But they don't have the Rams. They don't have the Seahawks. They don't have any of these other teams, the Vikings. They don't have any other of these teams that were decent last year. The Bucks. they don't have them in the playoffs. They have the Bears in the playoffs right now. So there is an expectation nationally that this Bears football team is going to be pretty good and that they have a position right now to put Caleb Williams in where he can succeed, where he has an ascending offense around him with DJ Moore, with Cole Komet, and I expect a couple more weapons added this offseason with an offensive line that has some good players on it that's going to have the center position bolster this offseason, a running game that's pretty good with Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson, it and Shane Waldron calling the plays. This is an offense where you can drop a rookie quarterback in and have him be successful. So be excited for it. Enjoy it. Let's embrace it together as Bears fans. Stop the bickering on social media and on call-in shows, on, on, on radio and, and everything else and accept the idea that Justin Fields will not be here and most likely Caleb Williams will be and that you know what that is? That's a good thing for the Chicago Bears. All right, we'll talk a little Caleb and Fields here with, with Josh Lucas, a little bit, but I'm gonna talk more big picture about the front office and how this offseason could look and, and how the front offices in the NFL get from the end of the season to free agency and the draft. Josh Lucas joins me next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. Be right back. Welcome back into the podcast. Excited to do this. He was nice enough to come on during the season, and it was the most listened to podcast that we did for for the entire season. He had some great information, great things to say about the evaluation process of Justin Fields and Caleb Williams and the whole roster for that matter. So I thought it'd be really good to have him on again to kind of talk about what went into an NFL offseason, how a football operations team gets from point A to point B from the end of the season evaluations to how to improve the roster for the upcoming season. He is Josh Lucas, of course, the Chicago Bears former director of player personnel, and he joins me now. Josh, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back, and I appreciate the uh, shout-out of the number one listen-to podcast of the 23 season. That's pretty cool. That that was hey, you had some great stuff, and of course you had some uh, some big things to say about Caleb Williams. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the Justin Fields Caleb Williams conversation's been a bit of a hot one for a few months. So, but um, but that's yeah, one, that's everyone making it a bit of a hot conversation. The media needs stuff to write about and stuff to click on. They already know what they're doing. Gotcha. Well, we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but. But before we get into kind of how an offseason works, and, you know, if, if you haven't heard Josh on Hogan Johns, he did basically what would be like a quadruple podcast. They talked about the offense and defense and went through evaluations. So if you haven't checked that out, I would check that out. It's it's really well done and it's really informative. But, you know, I don't I don't want to mimic that, but I, I want to kind of build off that. So. You know, when you you're the, with the, the player personnel department and, and you're working with the GM and looking at the evaluation process, like is, is that one where it's really I, I figure I assume it's an ongoing process throughout the entire season. But kind of what what is that process like for the football operations, you know, the last couple of weeks of the season into the last, you know, the first week of the offseason, so to speak? Yeah. So once, you know, with within the season, 
you know, you're going to have in, in-house scouts who are not only mon- monitoring the other 31 teams and their free agents, um, doing advanced work for your upcoming opponent, but they're also going to be in charge of one or two positions of your own roster. So they're, you know, they're mastering the O-line on the Bears roster so they know it the best. Um, and so when the season ends, you have all kinds of meetings that are going to start. Um, you know, the first meeting generally is that post your own team evaluation, kind of what we did on that podcast with Adam and John's. Um, it's really just a kind of set of uh, an outline. It's not a end all be all meeting. Things definitely change post that meeting. There's a lot of guys that are kind of left stuck in the, are they a three average good enough? Or are they a six? You know, we really just need to get rid of them and move on. And sometimes some of those decisions takes take weeks uh, depending on what's coming up in your, um, your free agency meetings. Um, and then as well as what that position may look like in the draft. That's the first meeting that kickstarts everything. Um, the, uh, the second thing that'll happen uh, normally, and I, every team might do this a little bit differently, sure. um, is you're going to have your, your initial free agency meeting. And throughout the entire season, your in-house guys have built a free agency board. They've graded every single UF, UFA. We, we also looked at every roster and had our cap guy assess who, who are guys that are likely to get cut. So most cap guys probably would have said to other teams, hey, I would put Cody Whitehair on their free agent list. And I would put Eddie Jackson on their free agent list because these guys are likely to get cut. So our in-house scouts are grading every single one of those guys. And then we have a board built uh, base, base grade from highest to lowest. That initial meeting is to set re- to, to set the list of players that your coaches need to watch. Your coach doesn't have time. I, he could if he if you really wanted him to, but it's not efficient to give your coach twenty six tight ends that are free agents. Give them the five to seven that you have some conviction on that would make sense fiscally, and that are guys you'd be excited to add to your roster. To me. It's it's this tricky. It really is a tricky, delicate balance because the last thing in the world you want is it's the two twenty. It's two thousand twenty four season. It's week four, and this tight end is balling for some team in the NFL, and he was a UFA, and you didn't have him on your coach's list to watch because you just didn't think he fit or whatever. So you really want to narrow the list. You gives the coach more time to spend on each individual prospect. But you also want, you got to be careful not to make it too, too narrow. 
um, and, and leave somebody off that could potentially help you. So that's what you're doing in that first meeting. And then you're also given those basically those same target guys at each position um, to your general manager as well, because he doesn't have time to watch every single UFA. He needs to be able to watch, you know, five to, to eight, depending on the position, top guys that make sense, that fiscally you could do it, the contract makes sense. Um, and that's how you kind of begin to narrow down the, the pool of um, uh, kind of who you're going to talk to at the combine and their agents, and then obviously who you're going to make offers to. So that's kind of how the, you know, the, the free agency um, uh, from a free agency standpoint, that's how, that's how that works. Um, and then on the going on simultaneously, you're working to the draft. So January is all-star week month. And you guys saw last month, senior bowl concluded right. it. There's still the East West game. Um, you know, the, the, the players association game, whatever the names of them are, there's like four or five of them. still. your scouts are at every one of those games. You're, you're getting quality time with the players. You're seeing who the outliers are, the guys that, that jump out. And also the guys that just show you, they're just not good enough. Um, and you get a lot of that at some of the smaller games where, where the talent's not as great. And then as soon as February wraps around, Almost every team in the NFL brings in all their scouts into what we would call front and board meetings for the for the upcoming draft. Some teams now uh, let guys stay home and do it by Zoom, which I find interesting. Um, so is it, is this just college scouting, or this is this is everybody? This is college. Okay. Now now your pro scouts. The, the the haze in the barn like they've done all their work they've presented the free agency stuff it's over like for them they're done like from from that once they present and those lists are handed to the coaches it's your coaches and your your gm and your your personnel executives are going to steer the ship from there so your pro scouts now have have empty plates and they will get involved in the college draft and they'll be given usually maybe it's up just a position. Maybe you give, give the guy that um, one of your pro scouts, I know Chris white, you know, is still there as a pro scout. Um, he was really good with O-linemen. So we would just give him every O-lineman in the college draft to watch. And, and he would sit in our meetings um, and, and participate. But Everyone in the league in February is having front board meetings and you're going through every guy that has a draftable grade for your team and your GM is going to be in the room. All your personnel people are going to be in the room and you want your head coach to be in the room. You don't get him for every meeting, for every minute, for every hour. Ryan would be very um, de deliberate and, and knowing when, like, hey, I really want Matt or Coach Fox to be in here for these three wide receivers or these three um, defensive tackles. Um, Josh, what time do you think we'll get to those guys today? 
to make sure they're in the room for that part because they're not they're not in there for that whole thing. That process usually takes about two weeks to go through every guy because you're talking about their character. You're talking about all their background. You're talking about what they do on the field, why they would be a good bear. And you got to remember, multiple people have graded each player and each person gets a chance to speak. So it, you, can have, you can talk over an hour on one guy. And we're talking, you know, 200 to 300 guys on your front board. So you can imagine the, 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 na- the laborious nature of that. Now, some teams are watching film while they're doing this. And they're literally watching a game, two games, maybe three games on each guy. And they're, they're collectively talking through it as they go. I've never been a part of a regime that, that, that worked it that way. I, I personally don't find it um, beneficial in the long run to the decision-making because you're watching limited tape. Um, I think people's certain voices in the room can dominate other people's voices. Uh, and I think um, the work's already been done on the tape evaluation part. Um, it is a great chance for people in the room to see everyone. There's definitely benefits to it. There's teams that do this, that draft great uh, year in and year out. So I'm definitely not knocking the process. I'm just giving you my personal opinion of it. Um, And at the end of those two weeks, however you skin it, whether you're watching tape, whether you're just talking about the people individually, you're doing the same thing. You're building the list of guys that your coaches need to watch. Now, this is another tricky one where you're talking college wide receiver, guys that have height, weight, speed for the NFL in a college draft class. There's easily every year 25, 35 of these guys, if not more. And, you know, it, it can be a little unfair to the wide receiver coach that you hand them a, pl- a plate of 40 guys and the tight end coach, you know, he's got eight guys, you know, because the tight end list is, is getting shorter and shorter every year. Um, your offensive line coach gets bombarded. Oh, I can imagine. Gets bombarded with a, a, a big list. Um, but at the end of the day, um, what we would do is we would solidify the lists of the players the coaches are going to watch the players we're going to interview at the combine. We would do that during that week. Um, it used to be 50. I don't know if it's up now to 60 interviews, but you could only get so many 15 minutes slotted. Um, so we would build that list as we go. Um, we would take guys off the board for character reasons um, and for medical reasons um, as we went through that process. Try to shrink the board down um, to the best of your ability. There's always a lot of fat on the end. I, I think a lot of scouts, especially young scouts, which which if you look around the league right now, a lot of these staffs are really, really young. You know, they're just hiring really information gatherers. I, there's not a ton of evaluators out there running around as, as scouts right now. Um, 
they they get a little scared to put a free agent grade on somebody. You know, they like. I mean, I'm going to put a seventh round grade on this guy. You know, somebody might draft him. I really wouldn't draft him. Well, screw that. I don't. I don't want the guy you really don't want to draft. Like, if you don't want to draft him, put put a free agent grade on him. Um, so you so you'll get a bloated board in the sixth and seventh round, and and really those guys all end up being college free agents. Um, now you got you got to be careful again, like all these things. I remember doing this process in New Orleans, and um, and I don't want the the receiver's name is is slipping my mind right now. Um, but we were doing this, and we were like, hey, there's way too many names down here. Come on, guys, really. And uh, our boss was up front and um, and uh, was going through a stack of uh, receiver names, like uh, uh, you know five ten runs four six five. Are you serious? Let's put him on the free agent board. Then we got to a uh, uh, it was a receiver from Mount Union who ended up being a pretty good player in the league, and I cannot think of his name right now. It's at the tip of my tongue. Um, uh, but uh, he did the same thing. He was like Mountain Union, like seriously, Division Three. This guy's gonna play in the NFL, uh, and we dropped him down uh, to the backboard. And the, the dude ended up getting drafted and being a, a really good receiver. Is it Pierre um, Garcon? Pierre Garcon, yeah, Pierre Garcon, yeah. Thank you. Okay, yeah, just thinking about the little one that was from Cleveland, Ohio, that ended up going to the Jaguars. Um, that's the guy I was. That's the name, but I knew it wasn't him. I knew it was the other one. All right. So that was a ton of information. Appreciate you kind of going through all that. So how how difficult is it? Because I know you don't want to be going into the draft with, with just gaping needs, right? And I know you want to try and get those filled as much as you can in free agency. So like, and I'll use this current Bears roster as an example. If Darnell Mooney doesn't return and and it doesn't seem like to me that he he would you've got dj moore and tyler scott i don't see tyler scott right now as anything more than a wide receiver four i I don't think you can rely on him for more than that so knowing you have a a couple holes at receiver that that need to be filled this off season is is that you know at nine they may have a good chance at a receiver there i heard dane brugler say that he thinks the top three receivers are all going to be gone before nine so how do you balance trying to find where you know you're going to get quality players in the first, second round, maybe find a really good one in the third or fourth round that can give you serious snaps in year one on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. How do you balance that with free agency? Yeah, so obviously you're trying to, you know, you've heard me use the term before, green magnets, you know. We'd throw the depth chart up there, and anywhere we had a green magnet, you know, that's where the need was. So it could be starting left tackle. It could be third tight end, you know, Um, and you try to address as many needs as you can, obviously in free agency. Um, And the key to the whole thing. And I didn't learn this until with experience and and having more reps at it. It's just to be patient. Every for, for one, every team's going to have voids. You just watch two teams play in a Super Bowl. There's plenty of guys on that in those starting rosters that are just guys. You know what I mean? Like just guys. Like obviously you need the superstars to win championships, but no one has a roster of 22 all pros or all stars. Sure. So like you're going to have voids. 
be patient get as many addressed as you can in free agency and then to me the first round and the second round I you take the best player available and if it strikes a major need and it's close you may be tipped to the need the thing I would do if I ever was in charge of a draft again is, is, is really as soon as the second round is over, you throw away your needs board. Just take football players. Just take good football players. They will be on your team. Strengths go to weaknesses so fast in this league. Weaknesses become strengths so fast in this league. You know, I, I go I go back to the the 2019 draft and, and people from my past will probably get upset for me saying this. We went into that draft with only a third round pick and beyond. And And everyone knew you were taking a running back. And like, and it made me sick. Like it made me like, like really like one, we have a good one in, in Jordan Howard that, you know, the coach just didn't, care for and two like there's so many good players on the board look at some of those players that got drafted after we took david montgomery not that david wasn't a good player and i'm glad we had him um and he's still playing well from detroit but like to to me the third round and on like just take guys you love take guys that you just have conviction and passion in the building and, and if you're like, well, we already have five receivers that we know we're going to make the team, like, you know, are we going to keep six and take this guy in the fourth round? Yeah, keep six. Because guess what? When you get to the final cut, guess how many teams have 53 players that are all really good? None. No right. one. So you're just, just, you just stay heavy and keep heavy at the positions that you're strong at. Um but in the first round, obviously, you know, if that were your situation, you know, specifically, Mooney walks, you don't have any luck signing a, a, a premier starter. You don't get Mike Evans or whoever else is, is you know, going to be out there as a legit wide receiver for agent, and you're rolling in there with DJ Moore, Tyler Scott, and, and the rest of the bunch. I would say, you know, where they're picking and knowing how talented those three guys are, um, there could be some heavy, heavy consideration on making sure you get one of those three guys, no matter how you have to do it. If you fear that they're going to go before you, um, they're – you're on the phones making sure you know what you need to do to go up spots, you know, prior to the draft starting. Um, I personally think one of the three will be there, um, but they are, they, they, they do have that luxury this year of they need a wide receiver big time. Uh, and not only is there three, there's, there's a bunch of good receivers in the draft. Yeah. Deep class. I think these, these three guys are, are probably, uh, as clean as you can get as far as like not missing on them because um, they're all 
bigger guys that can catch through contact um, and, and they're playmakers and they, they score a lot of touchdowns. Like they have all the, the, the requisite requisites to, to not be busts. So, but before I get to a couple other things, I just want to ask you, since you were kind of talking about the the draft process and, and, you know, the 2019 draft specifically, but overall the, the, the Ryan pace regime, I think, when you look at the drafts, the fourth and fifth round, you you guys hit time and time again. You Tariq Cohen, Eddie Jackson, Adrian Amos, Jordan Howard, Bilal Nichols, Nick Kwiatkowski. You know, there's the you know more and more. Like there's a bunch of guys. What was it? Do you think about about your that room and and the regime? Was it was it Ryan just picking the right guys? Was it someone that was you know because it wasn't like one position right? You had a lot of success in the secondary, but you found a, sec- a couple secondary pieces, running back, linebacker. There were so many different pieces you found. What was it about kind of those late you know later on, not seventh round where it's I understand it's kind of like a lottery ticket, but what was it about those rounds where you guys had so, why you have had so much success? You know, I mean, a lot of things went into it. I think. Um might have been a little bit more collaborative you know as you as you work through those rounds um you know the the those top picks are going to be you know really controlled by you know your gm and your head coach and your personnel director and and as you get to through that third round and into the fourth and fifth and sixth you know you're you know, I think you're bringing your scouts into it a little bit more. Um, hey, who do you guys really have conviction on? Like, it almost goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago. It's almost like you're you're stop worrying about fixing a, a a depth chart magnet thing, and you're just looking for really good players. Um, and I think we had a handful of guys that were really good evaluators. Um, it could have been a lot better. We 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 were. I won't get into every pick, but there was a there was a couple that, you know, if we would have went the other way, where it was like a 50-50 split, and we we went one way, and the other way would have been much better. Um, and I'm sure that happens with every team. Um, but I thought we had we were always well prepared and thorough, and um, you know we had a lot of scouts. I think I think one of the advantages of having a really young GM and a young personnel director is that I think scouts were a little more confident and not as afraid to stand up on the table. Um, and Ryan did a really, really good job of like, Hey, like, I don't get like, if you don't like them, you don't like them. And just give me the guys you really, really want. Like he really, he would really challenge our guys um, to, uh, to find those guys in the late rounds. Um, and our guys took a lot of pride in it and, uh, and they did a really good job with it. And, and, and you got to bring in coaching too. Some of those guys were coaches, you know, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, well, and all the way to the undrafted free agents, um, yeah, you guys had success there too, Bryce Callahan. You know, I that was my area, and I get hired here, and I'm I'm in Rice all the time when I was in New Orleans because I lived in Dallas, and I loved Bryce. I I'm still pissed that um, 
we didn't take Bryce in the seventh round. Um, the reason we didn't take him is because we thought of the two guys and with my relationship with Bryce and his agent and the, and our, and our guys talking to Bryce and his agent, we felt really good. If he went undrafted, he was going to sign with us and we didn't have as good of a relationship with the other player. Um, we still got him. Roy Robertson Harris. That's another good one. Yep. That's like, that's one guy, Francis St. Paul, who's still uh, a scout for the bears. He's their West coast over the top scout. All Francis. Like he came up to me in March and was like, I got a guy. I don't think he's going to get drafted and we're getting him." And he, by the time we signed him after the draft, Francis had, you know, been out to dinner with him and his future wife and, like the amount of work he did to secure and make sure we got this one guy, um, you know, and little luck sometimes with the Harvard connection with Broniker, um, you know, and, and just sometimes it is luck. And I, you know, obviously we had our misses too on the back end, but um, you know, I think, uh, I think honestly, if, if, if overriding, I think it was just, when it felt like when the fourth round started, it became like more of the entire room's draft, um, unless the guy sitting in the front draft, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, before I let you go, because I have a few more things I want to get with you, um, let, let me ask you kind of some specifics about that that relate to the the team this year. Uh, and the most intriguing one, I think, for a lot of people, not not quarterback, but is is center. Because obviously that that's a need. That's something they need to address. If there is a rookie quarterback, and we'll get into quarterback here in a minute, but if there's a rookie quarterback, I, I feel like having a veteran center there would make a lot of sense and that it's worth the spend. I know there's a couple really good center prospects this year that are going to go late round one, early round two. We don't know if they're going to have another pick in that range. How is the if you're going to have a rookie quarterback? Because obviously you guys did it with with Trubisky. Like, what is the best approach at center? You know, it, what you just said is dead on because it happened to us because we drafted James Daniels with the intention of being a center and a center only. We did never envisioned him being a guard because um, of some of the anchor issues and some of the things we thought um, he did better at center. But we got into that that whether it was his his first year and Mitch's second year. Um, and yeah, that's in 2018. Yep. Whenever it was, there was a point in time where Mitch started being vocal towards the, towards the um, coaching staff saying he just felt more comfortable with Cody and, and, and James was a puppy when we drafted him, he was a, a like a 21 year old, true three-year junior coming out of Iowa. And he, he was a puppy. He was like a baby deer. Like his body wasn't filled out maturity wise, you know, like he, he wasn't a man yet. Like when he left us, you know, he still had some issues as a player, but like he was an NFL offensive lineman, you know, he, you know, obviously he got paid some money still starting in the league. Um, but he was much more of a kid and, and, and we had to start playing him at guard. Um, so that what you're saying is real. Um, and if you're 
if you don't solve this, they will have a vet center in position to play before the draft. Might not be who Bears Nation wants it to be. It might be a down the line guy that's just kind of a you know a, a band aid. Another version of Lucas Patrick. Exactly, and there's guess what? There's a bunch of guys like that available throughout the league. So they'll sign the one they like the best. He'll be the starting center, um, and until and then if they draft a center until that guy's ready to play. Um, it does make a big difference for the quarterback because you can have the vet center. You can put more on him as far as ID and, you know, Mike IDs and, and protections. And uh, the less you can put on the rookie quarterback mentally, the better he's going to play. So that, that, that would be interesting if, 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 if the dynamic set up where they took a, a quarterback one and maybe a center in the second round. Um, and there's, Again, there's different levels of centers coming out from maturity, um, uh, vocal leadership. There's guys that are ready to do it right away, and there's guys that need time. And so they're going to have to be cognizant of that, and they'll know that. They'll know everything. Any center they're about to take, like they'll know that right away. We drafted Heronis Grasso in the third round because of all that stuff and he had all that stuff we we thought he had enough in his body to be a functional starting center in the nfl and he just wasn't big and tough enough the strength right you know and it it, it, what what we saw on oregon tape um you know we thought there'd be a little more developmental upside there um we thought he was strong enough playing against good competition um, but at the end of the day, he just didn't have the power. Um, and and some guys that don't have the power that are a little bit smaller, you know, you go back to a guy like Olin Krutz can make up for it with just their sheer tenacity and nasty and toughness. Hironis had all the intangibles as far as, you know, being able to run a huddle, being able to help a young quarterback, even from an early, early, early standpoint. He just didn't have the physical and the nastiness and the in that dog in him that that he needed to survive. Um, he, yeah, I hate to say it, but he too nice of a guy. Um, sometimes sometimes you want him to be a little more uh, edgy, have a little more shit in their neck, and and sometimes you know nice guys that that don't have that switch, um, it can be a problem. Yeah, I, that that makes a lot of sense. I remember I, I used to we used to have a guy Grant Wistrom, the defensive end, if you remember him, and he just he always used to talk about how he had this amazing switch. He was such this mild mannered, low key guy, but he just knew how to flip this switch and just had a motor that wouldn't quit when he got on the field, and he had a successful career because of it. So I, I, I get that that makes a lot of sense. So let me make sure I get to the quarterback position because we're going to run out of time and not, not address the the elephant in the room. And, and you brought it up early in, in the interview that you're like, that, you know, they know what they're going to do. And whether it's the media, I, I think a lot of this is being driven by the fan base because Justin is just so popular in Chicago. There's just a lot of fans that just don't want to let go. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think the decision is made and, and I think they're, certainly marching in, in one direction. I know there's, they, they got to get to the combine and meet and work out. And there's, there's a lot of steps to go still before they can 
be 100% certain what they're going to do and if they are going to draft Caleb Williams. But for me, with, with Justin, the, the one thing that I don't think gets talked about enough that I feel played a big part in this is the financial component with him. Because to me, if you are Justin Fields' agent and his team, and you're sitting down with Ryan Poles and you know whoever else to, to talk contract extension, and you're like, okay, you committed to Justin and you passed on Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, all for, for my guy. You clearly want him around, and you're not getting him for a Geno Smith, you know, three-year, $90 million contract. You're not get he's going north of Daniel Jones. You're gonna have to pay him 45 to 50 million dollars a year. And I just don't feel that this Bears regime is comfortable doing that. <laughs> it's it, it, there's nothing to warrant or justify that those numbers the to pay. But but don't you feel that's would be the ask? Oh, absolutely. No, I'm with you. Yeah, that's why anytime I speak on a podcast or radio, uh, TV, Caleb Williams doesn't come out of my mouth without me saying with a rookie contract because I know what that Justin Fields contract is going to look like. And look, I still think he can get a little bit better. You can win with Justin with a good enough team around him. But he does not go out there and win games for you. You know, it's it's you know it's amazing to me. You know, being part of both of them. You know, having drafted Mitch and then having drafted Justin, like those first three years in the league, like Mitch's numbers are better in the, in every single passing category. Yeah, yeah, they are. The win-loss record, not even close. We, we won a division. Obviously, I, I'm not dumb. I know we didn't win a division because of Mitch. We won a division because of our defense. But we won a division. Um, you know, Mitch took us to the playoffs twice. I clearly knew Mitch wasn't good enough. We missed. We really missed because of who we didn't take. And not, not only that he wasn't good enough, but but also who we didn't take. I'm well aware of that, but it is crazy to me to, to think the, 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 uh, the lens of Justin after three years versus the lens of Mitch after three years. Um, it's wild to believe that they're that different it, when at the end of the day, like Justin just hasn't performed um, beyond his legs and his ability to run, um, he has not performed well enough in the pocket to even consider those numbers financially. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And and the other thing that that I keep seeing is, you know, now when we're hearing Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter talking about the historic haul that it, that it would take for the Bears to move to number one. And that's getting a lot of fans to be like, okay, you can trade with New England and you can get three first-round picks and two second-round picks and, and all this stuff. And, and to me, I, I look at that and, and I'm, I, I see it as this is the insider saying how much Ryan Poles wants to stay at number one. This is not the insider saying this is how much the commanders want to come up, the Raiders want to come up, the, the Falcons want to come up. We're not hearing that. I'm sure they do with a prospect. We don't. We're not hearing that these teams want to give up 
massive amounts of capital. The only thing I've heard from Washington beat writers is that they probably aren't willing to give up what it would take to, to just swap a spot to get their hometown kid. So like I'm looking at these insiders saying this as this is them basically saying the bears want to be at one and select a quarterback, even though I think a lot of fans are interpreting it as, Oh, we're going to get even more than we got for Bryce young. Yeah. You know, you got to be very careful, but uh, Adam Schefter, um, who's the guy you just said? Ian Rappaport. Ian Rappaport. Look, they're being fed information. They're they're buddy buddy with every agent in the league. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Any information that they're shooting out there um, is is trying to help somebody out. Um, and no different than you said, I'm sure that that's it. That's, that's bears brass talking, letting people know that, you know, it, it would take an ungodly amount of, uh, you know, ammunition to come up and get them. And you're exactly right. We don't know, you know, there's still, I think a lot of teams that are more, more scared of Caleb after this year, and see him less likely as that, uh, without a doubt, home run Hall of Famer, um, uh, and who really, really wants to come up. Um, no one knows other than those teams. So, like the whole draft is so funny doing it on this side and listening to stuff. Because when I was in the office, like from from January to to April, like. I like my earplugs, like no reason. It doesn't benefit me from talking to any media and giving anyone any information. And um, obviously, you know, you talk amongst some other scouts in the league and you know, you, you know, what's what generally, but like there's, there's, there's just going to be a a lot of smoke coming up, you know, in these next few weeks regarding this whole situation. All right. Last thing for you then, because, you know, it's been we've been going for 40 minutes here. I want to I want to let you go. I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, Justin Fields is assuming they do trade him this offseason. You know, I know Ryan Poles made the move for the number one pick early, you know, because he he, he's, and he said he wanted to you know make sure he, he knew what he needed before he had free agency. And he was able to get D.J. Moore. So that made a lot of sense for for Fields. Does it make sense to try and move him before free agency? So this team, you know, that, that acquires him says, all right, we're set at quarterback. We don't need to pursue cousins or Mayfield or Jake Browning or whoever it might be, or, you know, worrying about the draft first round, you know, quarterbacks in the draft. When does it make sense as someone who's been in the personnel offices a long time, does it make sense to make a trade like that? Yeah. To me, it'd be before free agency. I think that's just because that's when the demand is going to be the highest if you were to wait till after the draft obviously there's several of these teams that are probably interested in trading justin fields that might get their needs met um in the first round with some of these down the line quarterbacks or not i shouldn't say down the line some of these first second round prospect quarterbacks um and and i think the 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 peak of his um you know, value is going to come right before uh, free agency starts and teams start spending money and, and um, you know, making moves. So I would agree with you. That would be probably when they're going to do it. Um, 
You know, there's that wild scenario that you keep him and take Caleb. Um, Wouldn't that be terrible for the locker room? Is it, 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 it's it's it, it can be fucking it, sorry. Excuse me. That's all right. That's all right. It, it can be absolutely divisive and explosive, or they could meet each other and and respect each other and and you know real knows real. They both know how talented they are, and I, I don't know what kind of personality Caleb Williams has, but um, you know. I heard horror stories about what happened with Carson Wentz and and Jalen Hurts as, as a rookie, um, as far as uh, uh, really dividing the locker room, um, getting guys on guys' side. Um, I've seen it in the Bears building, obviously. So you don't know what's going to happen um, if you took that part out of it and you just said, "Hey, like let's we're not focused on." the dynamic of the team as far as relationships go, just what's best for Caleb. Um, the NFL is flat out showing us it's unbelievably beneficial to sit. I mean, you know, from, from love in green Bay, from Mahomes, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, like it's extremely beneficial for a quarterback to be able to sit um, you would have a chance that have Justin perform even better and, and give you more uh, of leverage in a trade going forward. Um, it's not crazy to think out, huh. but if you think that it could combust, if you think that, that, the people in the locker love Justin so much, which that might be true because Justin seems, seems to be the case. Yeah, likable guy, and they're gonna kind of like shun off um, Caleb. You know, you, you just never know. <clears throat> Justin wasn't great his rookie year. We thought having two vets with him um, would really help him. Uh, with Andy and uh, and Nick, and and that was not cohesive at all. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, the part I kind of liked about it is Justin knew he was the best and sh- should be out there. Um, but the part you don't like about it is there's a teachable moment in every point of practice. There's teachable moments in the building during the day, how you carry yourself as a quarterback. There are teachable moments at press conferences. There's teachable moments every snap on Sunday. Um, and when you got two guys that have won as much as Nick and seen as much as Andy, um, and you don't take that information in because um, you're a little standoffish and, and, and a, little, a little abrasive, um, you know, you're wasting that opportunity. So it would be risky from a, from a team dynamic standpoint, but if you think it out and let Caleb sit for a year and you still continue to build your team um, and, and you get another year adjusted on a cheap deal, um, it's, it's not the craziest thing. All right. And if, if they do, if they don't do that and they do trade them, I mean, I don't know if you can take a guess. Does, does a second round pick seem reasonable? I That's think what everyone keeps saying a second round pick would be what they could get for him. I think a, if they got a second round pick based on his career, when you just watch the tape and see where he struggles, 
um, there's alarming stuff. Um, we've talked about it all year, uh, and it's three years of it. Um, so, you know, how much better is it going to get? Uh, and you all you have to be in on using his legs to make him who right. he is. Um, when you factor all that in, you know I think second round is is absolutely the the highest they could get. If they pulled off a first round, um, that's another just start making the Ryan Pole statue now. <laughs> yeah, with, with that deal he got last year and, and the deal, if he were to get a first round for Justin Fields, um, I think if they got a second or even a third round pick for him, um, uh, you would be, you would be happy with that. All right. Well, I, I don't want to, I could talk to you for another hour, but I got, uh, I got time. If you want to go, that's all right. I get, you know, they, we can only keep the podcast so long. That's all right. So there he is, Josh Lucas, direct, former director of player personnel for the Chicago bears. Josh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Bill. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There he is, Josh Lucas, everybody. That, that was an excellent conversation, really interesting. I love how honest and forthright he is. He gives you an entire different perspective as to how, how front offices operate, how football operations operate. It's things that really just, you know, former executives don't really talk about it very much. Like if they give you a story, you you feel like you've you've unearthed the holy grail, and, and and Josh just talks about things pretty freely. You know, there's a ton of stuff he keeps a lid on. You you know it just based on how the NFL operates. But overall, just a great informative conversation. So as we have been doing, let's wrap up this podcast with some questions, and we've got a few here off of the Twitter X machine. So let's hear, let's take a look at a few of these. Let's look at Bear Down. Baba Bear says, if the top three wide receivers are taken, is it more likely to take Bowers, Edge, or Trade Down? So that's a tough question. And first of all, let me just say, if top three receivers are gone, I'm going to be disappointed. I have all my eggs in the Malik Neighbors Roma Dunze basket. That's who I really want to see them take at nine. I understand there is a chance that all three of them could go off the board in the top eight. I think most likely one of them will be there, and I think it is the wise choice for Ryan Poles to stick at nine and take one of those three. If all three of those guys are gone, the opportunity for Bowers is there. And Bowers, you would think, could operate like a Dalton Kincaid and be, you know, kind of a heavy three wide receiver set or a traditional 12 personnel set with two tight ends with Cole Komet out there, it would work. And that would intrigue me. Edge, and I've said this consistently, and I don't know if Ryan Poles thinks this way. I doubt Ryan Poles is thinking this way. I don't want an edge in the first round this year, unless somehow they can pry a first round pick for Justin Fields, which to me, if they did that, and I don't expect that to happen, don't read anything into this but to, to me it would be the Pittsburgh Steelers 
and it would be a sweetened first round pick. So if the Bears, yeah, I think the Steelers are 20. So if the Bears got 20 for Justin Fields, they would also kick in like a 2025 third round pick, something like that for the Steelers to agree. That's the way I see it. I don't think Justin Fields can just net you the 20th overall pick. I think the Bears would all have to send something else in return to make that happen. And again, and I still don't think it would happen. I think the Bears, if they get a second round pick, that would be more than sufficient. And if you can get a second round pick plus, like the Pittsburgh Steelers picking around 51-52, and if that's the case, you can get something additional. Get a fourth, fifth round pick, get a 2025 third or fourth round pick, something like that to sweeten the pot, so to speak. That, that is what I would expect for Fields. I mean, I've seen some stuff where it's a, you know, a third round pick this year and a third round pick next year. And that would not surprise me either. I am confident they get a third round pick. So some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter about letting Justin Fields stay here for a year and then letting him walk and get the compensatory pick for him. One, that depends on how much the Bears spend, you know, that next offseason. But two, that would be an end of the third round pick. They're going to do better than that. So they 100% absolutely need to trade him this year. So unless somehow they pry the 20th overall pick from the Pittsburgh Steelers for this selection, and then they can go get an edge at that point. Maybe Latu's still there. Maybe Jared Verse is still there. I'm sure Dallas Turner would not be, but that, that kind of guy. Or maybe there's an awesome three tech still there. Something like that. Unless they can do that, I am not interested in an edge this year. I am not. Just not the position that, do they need one? Yeah, sure. But they need more than they can fill this year. They're going to have some holes. And to me, if you have Demarcus Walker and, and you know, some other supportive edge, you know, maybe you go out and you go crazy and you sign Hunter from the Vikings. Maybe you do something like that. And then obviously you don't need to spend on an edge. But if they don't make a big splash at edge in free agency, I do not want them using the ninth pick for an edge. So again, polls may not feel that way. That's how I feel. So if all three receivers are gone there, bear down, I would tend to say if they can find a trade partner, if someone, if there's a quarterback there that someone wants to come up for, I would look at that. Bowers wouldn't upset me but I would not want to stay pat and, and get an edge. I just don't think that's the best move moving forward. I just, these edges are good, but they, they don't pop like these top receivers pop for me. So, all right, how about Chicago Muse? Do you think the Bears move on from punter this offseason? Trenton Gill, despite the Bears fan base loving him, me included, just hasn't been that great of a punter, and Ryan Pulse has always seemed like a guy to improve, even the smallest things. Just a bit curious about it. Do I think the Bears would spend on a free agent punter? No, I do not. You got two years left to Trenton Gill. He's not good. He's fine. He's certainly below average, bottom, you know, arguably bottom five, six in the league punter. He's not atrocious. He's just not particularly good. He doesn't pin guys very well inside the five. We've talked about Trenton Gill on this podcast before. But here's what I would say. Can you bring in a UDFA punter and have him have an open competition with Trenton Gill? Sure, you can do that. And obviously there's going to be plenty of UDFA punters and then you can make your decision from there. So the way I would do it, I would bring in competition for Trenton Gill and may the best man win 
And if Gil wins out, he stays the punter. If he loses, see you later. Thanks for two years. But I would not do anything beyond that. How about this one? Aaron Feldman, timeline for a fields trade. All right, see, that's interesting to me, Aaron, because I will say that depends on the fields market. Like if Justin Fields has a hot market, if teams want to commit to Justin Fields as their 2024 starter and are willing to give up significant capital, that would mean minimum of a round two pick, a round two plus. Then at that point, I expect a Justin Fields trade to be early in March, probably right before the start of free agency. So a team knows if it needs to be addressing quarterback or not. If they don't get the big compensation, if teams are coming in with a three plus, if they're not getting what they expected to get, then I would expect, then, then that means most teams are not looking at Fields as their guy for 2024. They're looking at Fields more as a plan B. So at that point, I'd let Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins, Jake Browning, let these guys settle a little bit. Then these teams can start focusing on rookies and where these, start getting a better idea of where these quarterbacks are gonna end up, right? They're gonna know, is Drake May definitely QB2? If he is, okay, is he going second to the commanders? You know, they're going to they won't know for certain, but they'll have a good idea about Jaden Daniels and J.J. McCarthy. And, you, you know, they'll get some vibes on some potential teams and who's potentially interested in those guys. And then at that point, you can, you know, the rest of the league is going to, you know, the Vikings are going to be sitting there going, you know, or the Broncos. All right. Well, we're going to have to trade up if we want to get Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy. Maybe we don't want to do that. Maybe we'd rather trade for Justin Fields. Maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers sit there and say, well, the only guy we're going to have a chance at in round one is Bo Nix. We don't want to take Bo Nix at 20. Justin Fields makes more sense for us there. So at that point, if you don't get really good draft capital for Fields, and I'm, I'm on the fence with this. I'm having a hard time reading this situation because it's all over the board. I have heard some things. I wrote an article about it last week about Fields' trade market is complicated and it may not be a big market. But then you're hearing major insiders saying, oh, Fields is going to have a market. So, look, I'll have to go off of the insiders who, who are really plugged into the league and are saying that, yeah, Fields will get a two. Schefter told Waddle and Sylvie, oh, he'll get a two. Maybe he could get a one. Adam Schefter said it. Now, Adam Schefter might be doing some work for Ryan Poles right now and, and kind of spreading this around a little bit for him to try and help out that, that you know, Schefter does favors. It, it kind of works out. You know, he'll he'll say some things to boost some trade markets and things like that. And in, in exchange, he'll break some stories. It's it's a whole bartering system there with, with, with insiders. So it's a tough situation to, to decipher. But bottom line, I'll say if they get a really good offer, they're going to pull the trigger on Justin Fields and trading him early. Probably, like I said, right before the league new year. But if they don't, and they don't love what they're getting, I think they let some of this play out and Fields is on this team until April. All right, so I don't have this podcast spiral into a 90-minute marathon. It's pretty lengthy already as is. Let's wrap up with one more. Let's wrap up with Evan Kennedy, who says, what would a trade up to number three look like if the Patriots were interested in Justin Fields? All right, so we did talk about this a little bit last week, Evan, but let's just finish it up again because I love playing uh, draft trades. I love it. Uh, I talk about it all the time. I love the values. I love looking at the math. 
So let, let's talk about it. So again, uh, I said this last week, I like using the Jimmy Johnson chart. It's pretty straightforward. It's still largely accurate. And, and I think overall still holds water and does a pretty solid job in evaluating these trades. So again, if you go to, it's drafttech.com, draft, T-E-K, two T's in the middle. That's the website I use. If you just Google like Jimmy Johnson trade chart or draft chart, it'll come up, Rich Hill model, all these different models will pop up. A bunch of different websites have them. This is just the one that I happen to use. So the New England Patriots draft pick is worth 2,200 points and the number nine spot is worth 1,350. So for the Bears to come up to number three, they need to make up 850 total points. And of those 850 total points, they have to do more than like they can't come up just a little shy. They're going to have to go over 850 if they're going to trade up. All right. So to, first thing you have to do is determine Justin Fields trade value. Well, if Justin Fields was worth the 20th overall pick, you know, if the Steelers wanted to give him Justin Fields straight up, that's 850 points. That gets you home, right? Bam. But we're all confident in saying Justin Fields is not worth the 20th overall pick. We hear consistently that Justin Fields is worth a second round pick. Now, I think the Patriots could sit there and try and value Fields a little less, like around 400 points, which would be the 50th overall pick. And if the Pittsburgh Steelers give the Bears 51, the Bears would be thrilled about that. But let's be generous and let's say Justin Fields is worth 500 points. That's worthy of the 40th overall pick. So probably a little less but let's say he's worth 500 points. You still have 350 points to make up. So you look at that and go, all right, well, the Bears don't have a second round pick because they're not trading Justin Fields for a second round pick. So they don't have anything there. So the next best pick they can offer the Patriots is the third is their third round pick, which is 75 overall. That is worth 215 points. So now you've got 715 points that you have offered the Patriots for the number three pick. But again, we had 850 points to, to make up. So now, in order to do that, the Bears aren't just going to dump all their fourth and fifth round picks to try and get it home and, and do, be ridiculous. We're going to look at 2025. We look at the 2025 picks. They are future picks, so they lose value. The idea is that a round two pick has the same value of a round three pick this year, right? It loses a round per year. That is the idea. So when you look at that, and you pick middle of the round, you're about 200 points. And then you look at, you know, that, that's the middle of round three. So that would be roughly the, the value of the Chicago Bears 2025 second round pick. So 200 points there, 200 points with the third there. Justin Fields worth about 500 points. That gets you to about 900 points. The Bears needed to make up 850 in theory, that should be a deal that the Patriots would be interested in if they wanted Justin Fields and draft capital. So the trade would be number three for the number nine pick, Justin Fields, the third round pick this year, and the Bears' second round pick in 2025. And I look at that, and that's why I tell people that trading up from nine to three is a terrible idea. Marvin Harrison is awesome, and I would have loved to have Marvin Harrison on this team, but the Bears got hot at the end of the year, and when they did, Marvin Harrison went out the window. That's how this works. 
pretty straightforward. So with Marvin Harrison off the, you know, not, not available, and again, you can sit there and argue that the Bears can trade down to three with Patriots and get the haul from one. We're not doing that anymore. I'm done with that. So Marvin Harrison off the board, unless you trade up from nine to three, Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunze, guys, go watch them. If you're on this Marvin Harrison or bust idea, go find some highlights on YouTube. If you want to grind tape and watch a full game, I recommend doing it. But find some highlights of Marvin Harrison and find some highlights of Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze. You are going to see three dynamic players. And is Marvin Harrison the best one of them? Absolutely. But is Marvin Harrison worth that Justin Fields? No other capital for Justin Fields. Justin Fields, a third round pick and a second round pick next year, instead of just taking Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze at nine, no chance for me. I would, I would not want the Bears to do that at all. I would highly question the move as much as I would be excited about Marvin Harrison. They are in a position where they can get an excellent, all three of these guys would be wide receiver ones most seasons. All three of them would have been the top wide receiver last year. All of them, absolutely not a question. They would have been the top receiver off the board, not just Harrison, but a Dunze and Neighbors. So when you have an opportunity to get a wide receiver this good and get him a little bit later, and again, not have to give up any more capital, then you can go trade Justin Fields for presumably a mid-second round pick and maybe a little bit more draft capital where you can turn around and get another potential starter in round two. And we have seen Ryan Poles find a lot of starters in round two, right? Kyler Gordon, round two. Jaquan Brisker, round two. Tyreek Stevenson, round two. He has found a lot of starters there. You know, Javon Dexter may be a starter this year, round two. He's finding these guys in round two. So give him a swing in round two for Justin Fields. And don't waste that swing for Marvin Harrison instead of Neighbors or Adunze, as great as Harrison is. So now we have some interesting things lined up here for Bears banter in the next couple of months, a couple guests I'm working on. We'll see if we can get some of them home, have a really cool concept with, with some guests that I know you guys like that, that we're looking to do here in a few weeks, but I am going to be taking off next week and probably the week after that. And then we will come back with what I expect to be a really cool Bears banter. I believe it's going to be a live Bears banter if we can make that work. And I'm telling you, you're going to want to hear that one. I don't want to give out any more details, but we will bleed them out on Twitter and on Windy City Gridiron to make sure everybody knows exactly what's going on with that one. So next up is the Combine. The Combine is great for us for multiple reasons. One, the Bears are going to sit down with Caleb Williams and the other quarterbacks. That's huge. Two, we're going to finally, you know, put the rest. Is Caleb Williams 5'11"? No. How tall is Caleb Williams? 6'1", 6'2". We will find that out about him. We will find out plenty about, you know, potential rumors in terms of free agents that the Chicago Bears might be looking at. A lot of that starts bleeding out during the, the combine. And, of course, these wide receivers and some of these guys that are going to be available in rounds two and round threes for the Bears we are going to hear a lot about this, and it's going to be a fun four or five days in Indianapolis. 
So we'll, we'll be on top of that via Twitter and on Windy City Gridiron, but probably not going to do a podcast again until early March. So going to take the next couple weeks off. So until then, bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. <laughs>